I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Every company has a secret sauce. It's the differentiator that separates one company from the rest of the pack and keeps it successful long-term. For Juniper Networks, CMO Mike Marcellin says the secret sauce centers around how the company is getting its customers to actively engage with its product. How someone engages with a brand, with a company, is hugely important. 84% of them said that experience that a company provides is as important as its products and services. If you're a startup going into a completely new space and you're the only game in town, then the features and capabilities are there. But if you're in a mature industry where it's competitive, it's important, but it's not all that's important. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Mike explains how his team has evolved over the last few years to take a more data-centric approach to its marketing efforts. He also dives into how marketers can effectively use AI in their decision-making and how organizations can reduce operational costs to improve their customer experience. Enjoy this episode. This message is brought to you by Salesforce. Hey marketers, today's B2B buyers are more complex than ever and every buying committee has different needs and goals. Salesforce can help. We'll show you how to put each and every customer at the center of your B2B marketing strategy, and you'll learn how top brands like Lyft approach account-based marketing. Salesforce, market to every account, speak to every buyer. Find free B2B marketing and ABM resources at sfdc.co slash every dash buyer. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by a special guest. Mike, how are you? Hey, Ian. Uh, good. How are you doing? Great to have you back on the show. Recurring guest, guest extraordinaire. Last time we had you on the show, we were in person, so it shows how long ago uh, that was, but really excited to uh, to have you uh, have you back. Yeah, it's great to be here. You know, for our listeners who who didn't catch the last uh, episode, which I highly recommend you go check out, can you catch up uh, our audience on uh, on Juniper if if they don't know any, know anything about your customers or the type of people that uh, you are marketing to? Yeah, for sure. Well, obviously, um, <laughs> we've all been through a challenging time. Uh, we've certainly been quite busy, and uh, you know, I've just been humbled by you know the mindset and the agility of our team and our company. Obviously, you know, the world changed. Uh, last year, and and you know we've been navigating through it like everybody else. Um, but I'm really optimistic as we sit here today, just about you know our path to our healthier and happier uh, place. With that said, I would say you know I feel like we've been executing at a very high level as a marketing team. I'll give you some some headlines to to anchor our conversation. Um, we're actually on track this year in 2021 to increase our marketing generated pipeline by 127 percent versus. 2019. Um, so massive investment and increase that we've seen over the last couple of years. And, you know, it's following the journey that we had been on, but, you know, we've kept it, you know, kept it going through, through the pandemic. And with that increase, we've also been able to cut our, our cost per MQLs by 60% and keep our conversion rates the same. So if there's any, you know, one metric that I not only look at myself, but make sure that I'm you know, engage with the rest of the business around it's it's all things pipeline, um, and I'm just you know really proud of the team and and you know pleased with our progress on that journey. You know, ultimately, I think it comes back to our investment in data, um, and that investment 
continues to pay dividends for us. Wow, that's a that's a crazy stat. So decreased spend by 60% increased output. Uh, we'll have to definitely kind of dive into that. So the overall investment has gone up a little bit, but we've just been just so much more efficient with that. And that's led to some great, uh, great growth and our contribution to the business. That's really cool. So what, you know, you, you mentioned the investment in data. Previously, you had, uh, you had said one of your first investments as CMO was investing in data scientists. Talk about this investment in data and, and how's, it, uh, how's it starting to pay off uh, huge dividends here? Because it seems like, you know, any data project is always uh, a multi-month, potentially multi-year project. Yeah, as, as you mentioned, I mean, this has been this has been our journey really for the last five years. I mean, I recognized it back then that it was going to be critical to our ability to do what we need to do, which is help to drive the growth of the company and help to outflank our competitors. You know, as we as we sit here today, you know, hopefully emerging from the pandemic, you know, I think there's you know more opportunity than ever for marketing to shine, and and I think you know data is going to be at the the cornerstone of that. You know, because just as we didn't really have a marketing playbook in the pandemic. Right now, we're on the precipice of a new world, and that new world is something we have the power to shape, but we also don't have that playbook. You know, so we have to figure out what are the right things to do. And I think for companies, you know, as they think about you know, what are their growth prospects in 2022, you know, if growth is a goal, which for most companies it is, um, I would say investment in marketing is an investment in the future, and it de-risks whatever growth expectations you have. So that's at least the, the conversation I'm having with our C-suite. And I do think we're in a position where we can actually be a catalyst for growth and a catalyst for kind of getting back to the levels of customer engagement that we want to have. Um, and the roadmap for doing that is, is the data that we have on our customers, on the market, on their engagement, and then figuring out how to meet them uh, where they are. And so what does like actionable data look like to you? Maybe I'll, I'll kind of take a step back as to what we have what we have built over the last five years. You know, we really started with aggregating all the data that we had. I mean, the good news is so much has gone digital even five years ago that the data was there, but we had to figure out what's the critical data that we need to know to provide a 360 degree view of our prospect or our customer. So the the very first step was just to kind of bring that all together. And that can be a wide variety of stuff. It can be certainly a bunch of first-party data, you know, data that we have that we know, you know, what a customer has bought from us if they've, you know, bought in the past, how they're engaging with all the different um, marketing or other sales touch points that we might have with them. So we know a lot just based on the data that comes in, but a lot of companies maybe haven't aggregated it and put it together in a way that they can then make sense of it. So that first-party data is, I think, the, the first step. But then looking at third-party data, you know, how can we engage in customer sentiment or in buying signals um, even before they may directly engage with us? And you know, of course, there are a number of different tools out there that can help you do that. There are a number of other different media agencies that can help you kind of you know, understand where someone is in the buying uh, process, even outside of their engagement with your own properties. So putting all of that together is the first step. Um, and then, you know, I think what what we've done or kind of our, our our process has been then making sure that, you know, we kind of have an airtight view of the customer between what marketing knows, what sales knows, what other parts of the company, you know, customer success uh, knows so that, you know, when, when someone engages with us, let's say in a, with a marketing tactic, we're not blind to other engagements they might have. 
because that's certainly a way to turn off uh, a prospective buyer. If, hey, I just talked to a colleague of yours and, and this is like I'm having to have the whole conversation over again. So really having that complete view with no daylight between the different functions of the company. And so there's obviously so many clicks beneath that, but that's kind of how I think about it um, as, we, as we've assembled that view that then we, then we just kind of watch and iterate on what we're seeing working, how we're seeing engagement being driven. Um, obviously, that's not just on our terms, that's on the customer's terms, uh, but we learn as we go. Um, and we've even started using some ML and AI to make sure that that learning is happening and, and that we, you know, the next engagement is better than the last and, and more effective than the last. I want to get into some examples of this here in a second, because I think, um, as you mentioned, the devil's in the details on this stuff, you know, having no daylight between a customer success email and a sales email and a marketing campaign is something that every single CMO wants, right? Like, it, and it's so frustrating, I think, because we sit there and we say, like, this should be table stakes, right? Just we should know how we're communicating with all these people. There should be triggers that if, you know, somebody is in the middle of a sales cycle, we're not sending them emails. I keep getting what my credit card, the company that does my credit card sends me a new credit card for the same credit card literally every month. And I'm just like, you guys are so dumb. <laughs> you know, like I have this credit card. How is it possible that you don't know that I have it? Um, but anywho, it seems like it's the first thing that a lot of CMOs get on the job and they're like, I have to just make sure that at a minimum, we're not communicating to people ineffectively, right? But it's just, it's harder than just snapping your fingers. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we like many B2B companies have, an in-person sales force that hopefully pretty soon will be back in person, but let's just call it a dedicated sales force that's supposed to directly interact with our customers. So those interactions happen and our view in marketing of those interactions is only as good as those salespeople keeping some record of those interactions. And of course, again, there are tools Great that point. help you do that, but you know, they're not using Salesforce in the right way or, you know, they're not otherwise documenting, um, you know, engagements, interaction as the customer is moving through the buying process, then we are flying a bit blind. So, you know, it, a few years ago, we really had to double down on that CRM hygiene of, of making sure that salespeople do that. And look, no one necessarily likes to document all their actions um, after they've done them. But once we can start showing the value, um, both to us as a company, but also to the quality of customer engagement, that's what I think has really helped, you know, getting our sales teams over that hump. You know, the more data we have from them, the more insight we can provide based on correlating what we know from them and what we know from our own other data sources. Have you seen any anecdotal evidence that you're not kind of spamming people with stuff as often by doing this? Because that's always one of the things this is, it, 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 this always reminds me of kind of the problem that nobody ever thinks that they have uh, over sending emails or, or, um, like the example for my credit card, right? It's like, I've never said anything to them. They've never asked. Right. And I just got a new credit card. So maybe I'll use that one more. But but those are the sort of things, right? Like you don't know until they churn. Um, so is there anything that you've seen where people have kind of noticed that the communication has been more streamlined? You know, it's a great question. Um, you know, a couple of things come to mind, but it's, it's certainly an area that I'm, I'm sure we could do more with as well. But, you know, we do track, you know, unsubscribe rates and things like that. So, you know, making sure that, Ideally, you know, those rates continue to dwindle and, and the people that we're engaging with are, are, have opted into that engagement and want to continue with that engagement. And so we, we see good trend lines with that. But, 
It's a great question. I, I don't know that I'm not thinking of anything offhand that, you know, where we've, you know, kind of gone into specific customers who have dealt with our salespeople and dealt with marketing, you know, some way to kind of correlate that and understand is that experience better, worse, or the same. But I, I think intuitively, you know, again, the more that we know, then we can be even more selective in our engagement. So just, you know, it, it puts us in a position of, more knowledge means, you know, more high quality engagements rather than, as you say, not knowing that you already have the credit card and just sending you another solicitation for it. You know, if we already know, we're just not going to do that. I would say, you know, over the past 18 months, as I mentioned earlier, we've had to get tighter with sales because they've looked to us for help, you know, to engage in a digital virtual world where they've been forced to go. And so, you know, I think the, the relationship between sales and marketing has been, you know, stronger than it ever has before, you know, so much so that, Coming into this year, for the first time in a very long time in my career, you know, we had our sales uh, leadership give us additional marketing dollars from their budget because they felt like the effectiveness of, of what we were doing and the ability to help it drive the growth number that they are accountable for was best placed you know, investing in marketing versus investing more in sales or at least pivoting some of those dollars over. So that was, I think, a huge validation that what we're doing is moving the needle for the company. Mike, that's incredible. That's the five gold stars for your marketing team, right? That's the, the uh, if they're shifting money over, it's 10 times better than a, than a kind word or a pat on the back. That's for, for sure. sure. For sure. So what are some examples of, of ways that you've been able to do this or, or some of the elements of these campaigns that are working so well to uh, decrease that cost per uh, MQL? I'd say over the past couple of years, Juniper as a company has really been on a roll. And I think marketing has been an important part of that growth story. You may recall from last time we talked, and those who know Juniper know that you know many years ago, the company really got its growth out of, let's say, the, the largest few hundred companies around the world for whom the network is their business. So think about telecom operators or more recently, the big public cloud providers. And even you know massive enterprises that you know look at the network as a as a strategic asset. So that's great, and those are still hugely important customers to us. But what's changed over the past few years is our acknowledgement that hey, those are great customers, but we're not going to get all of the growth that we need out of just that relatively small number of large customers. And so we've really widened the aperture. And you know, anytime you widen the aperture, that's where marketing has an opportunity to add real value. One in you know, there are lots of other industries and customer targets you can go after. So who should you go after? Marketing can help with that segmentation. But, but then we also can help with the scale that, uh, you know, high touch sales motion isn't going isn't to scale when you go from a few hundred customers to a few hundred thousand customers. That's been our opportunity. And then the last thing that's happened over the last couple of years that's been really, a, you know, a catalyst for growth has been, you know, four, four different acquisitions, all with the goal of transforming the experience of our customers and of their customers uh, as they're engaging with the network. So that's kind of the backdrop for what marketing has had the opportunity to do. And so our biggest focus now with momentum and with new acquisitions that we're excited about is just to make sure that the world knows about our differentiated solutions um, and that they, they see our engagement experience as second to none. So that's been probably the biggest area of investment. We have just a couple of weeks ago, rolled out an entirely revamped website. And you know, some of that is just a cleaner engagement approach. But what we're really excited about is the underlying CMS 
that's going to give us the opportunity to do so much more as we transform the experience that our customers have with us. We've invested in customer advisory boards. We've invested in an executive sponsorship program or, or really bolstering our executive sponsorship program. So a lot of things that we've done to make sure that you know how companies and individuals engage with us is world-class. Um, and then obviously layer on top all of the smart digital campaigns and interactions that we've focused on that have driven that, uh, that pipeline number up, like I talked about earlier. Any particular campaign uh, that, you're, that you're especially proud of? Well, you know, one thing that we kicked off at the beginning of last year, actually, you know, right before COVID hit was, you know, a campaign that's focused on real business outcomes of our, of our customers. What we realized is, you know, we have some really exciting AI technology in our portfolio, for example. What we saw is a lot of AI washing out there. Um, but the challenge is that, you know, we have some lar- much larger competitors and, you know, those competitors can outspend us and can out megaphone us. And so even if we've got the goods and we think we've got a leg up um, from a solution perspective, you know, sometimes just the, the sheer volume can uh, overcome that or overtake that. And so we said, all right, you know, we're not going to get into a war of words. We're not, we're not going to be guilty of AI washing. Instead, what we're going to do is talk about the real business impact of our solutions, AI and otherwise, to the, the customers that we serve. And depending on the um, specific um, campaign or, or, um, or activation, sometimes we'll actually juxtapose the competitor's hype, um, the words that they use that are you know, kind of hype but no substance against the real results that our customers are seeing. And so it's given us an opportunity to highlight specific customers. You know, so obviously, anytime you can show customer reference and logos, that's always a good thing. But also the real business results, savings results, um, increased revenue or Im- improved customer and customer experience, all of those metrics that matter to every one of our customers. And that's been something that I think has served us extremely well in a time where it's very crowded and noisy. And so who do you believe and how do I know what solutions are going to impact my business? We're going to give you real quantifiable metrics around that. And so that's been, I think, a very successful campaign in its own right. And, and I'd say that's a little bit more of an awareness campaign in that we weren't necessarily trying to kind of go deep into the demand funnel on that. But what we've seen is it's actually helped improve our conversion rates on the demand campaigns that we do. And certainly, maybe the most important thing is it significantly increased the likeliness to consider Juniper for their next purchase. And so all of those metrics uh, point to a successful campaign. But I also, again, like, like what the campaign stands for, which is focusing on real outcomes, not a lot of marketing blah, blah. I think about that a lot, about how we're still kind of nascent on this you know, customer story you know, promotional ad schedule, right? It's like, you know, a lot of times we'll do a blog post. You know, we were part of a customer story a little while back, you know, did a blog post and, you know, that was it, right? And you just kind of think you're like, wasn't there just so much more we could have done with that? Like we could have done a webinar, we could, I would have been happy to do, you know, all sorts of different stuff to really like kind of give that legs to do some sort of social promotion and, and to do, um, you know, whatever else you know, line up media or something. I don't know, whatever. And and I think that there there's something about the way that we manage customer success at times. And I'm curious what you think on this. Like, why is it that we don't want to take too much of the customer's time? Like, why do we not get more out of 
these customer stories when they're such a better selling tool than almost anything else in our arsenal. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, um, you know, certainly there are some customers that for whatever reason don't want to, you know, don't want to kind of go on the record with with whatever vendor, but I but I think we've seen a massive increase in the kind of publicly referenceable customers that we've had over the past few years. We just had our global virtual summit back two months ago, and we had 18 customer conversations on that. Um, and yes, we all we had executive talking heads and we had demos and deep dives, and those all were very well attended. But I'll tell you, the, the most well attended or the things that people gravitate to the most is to hear how others are using you. And, and look, you know, if a customer speaks at one of our events, you know they have had a good experience. So, so it's it's important to click beneath the oh, Juniper's great, and get to the, well, what did they really do for my business? And that's where sometimes even customers need a little bit of help in really kind of clicking down and understanding the metrics and the impact that you've had. And by the way, you know, we've tried wherever we can not to focus on our metrics, not to focus on how we think about our solutions and they did this or they did that better, but what are the business metrics that the company cares about, that, you know, a CIO cares about, a CEO cares about? What is... Our, our technology done for their business? You know, how has it you know, allowed them to you know, reduce trouble tickets by 98%, like one of our uh, big customers has seen? And, and many of our customers see 90 plus percent reduction in trouble tickets by using our AI technology. I mean, that is gold for a CIO that's you know, trying to figure out what are the next technology inflections that they have to be on top of and would much rather spend their time on that than spending their time on kind of the treadmill of running the business and responding to user trouble tickets. So if we can take that burden off of them, it unleashes their team in ways that they just love. And to be a CIO or, or anyone who's making a decision and to hear from others that have had that experience and you're still on that treadmill, man, that's an immediate you know, way to perk up and say, I need to learn more because if, if it's half as good as you say, I'm going to get huge gains out of it. So I agree with you. I mean, it's we always would much rather have others talking on our behalf, whether it's customers, whether it's third-party analysts, what, whatever it is, um, versus you know coming directly from the vendor. Because we all have heard those pitches all the time, and you know you have you know a little bit of a grain of salt with that. So let's let others do the talking. Yeah, one of the things that I find so interesting is just figuring out a way to tell those stories shorter and shorter and shorter into those sort of pieces. And we're really good at that from like the, you know, couple that are on our website, right? Like we're really good at saying, you know, that one soundbite, but it should be permeated to every single other place that we have. Uh, we have marketing materials and we have all that stuff is like, tell these stories in a tweet sized amount, you know, or, or less over and over and over again. And, uh, and it's cool that you've seen a lot of you know good results there, not just from a brand awareness play, but for consideration for demand gen, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, we, uh, we've come with a bit of a, a, a menu or a playbook um, with anyone who is interested in being a reference. And we, we certainly want to white glove these customers' experience and make sure that it's a great experience and, and give them kind of the flexibility to speak however they would prefer. If it's show up at an event, if it's have a quote in a press release, if it's a little bit of a so social media activation, as you mentioned, if it's a deep dive case study. You know, a ten-page case study that really goes into the details of how they're using, and you know, and all of that's on a continuum. Um, we'll certainly take any and all of that, and it's really up to what the what the customer is most comfortable with. 
Um, and I think what we've seen is there, there's enough variability in that that we, you know, if if one of our prospective customers is engaging on social, we've got those kind of social activations floating around. If they come to our website and want to download a detailed case study, we've got enough of those to give them kind of the really the depth of information that they might be looking for and everything in between. So you're right. We, we want to make sure we are leveraging all of that, but also, you know, doing it in the form factor that someone's interested in uh, engaging with. You mentioned uh, the customer advisory board. So was this something that you had already or did you start it from scratch? Yeah, this was something that I would say a few years ago was happening a bit ad hoc. So what would happen is, you know, one of our vertical sales leaders, you know, for, for a given industry would be interested in bringing together a group of customers on a regular basis. So kind of an advisory board. Some of our product teams would, would, would be looking to get insight into, you know, some of our cybersecurity customers. They were kind of springing up and we said, you know, they're great. I mean, obviously engaging with customers in that way and the give and take that, you know, the, the benefits to both parties is enormous, but we wanted to do it in a, both a structured way. So the outcomes that we're shooting for are clear and also in a world-class way so that someone's giving us their time. We make sure that the experience is, is extremely valuable for them. And so we actually set about, again, maybe about 18 months ago to kind of revamp this and make sure, like I said, structure and high quality. Of course, you know, uh, the pandemic hit, but we still continued on and it just, you know, continued on in a virtual way um, over the past year, uh, looking forward, actually, uh, potentially getting a few back together um, in person or at least hybrid later this year. You know, the, the goals of these are all, you know, really that two-way dialogue. What we've heard is that the people that come together certainly value learning from their colleagues. So we want to make sure we're not hogging the stage, number one. Number two, we, of course, have things that we want to share with them, and they value that. They also have feedback they want to share with us. And, and, and one of the things we had to make sure is that when that feedback is received, there's a mechanism to feed that back into the right places in the company to actually affect change. Um, because we've all been there where you give anyone you're working with feedback and then if you don't know where that feedback went and you don't see any change, then you're kind of questioning the value of the forum. So we wanted to make sure that that was a key part of this, a commitment to action, the feedback. And not, not that every bit of feedback is always going to be taken, but at least we close the loop and say, thank you for the feedback. We've either you know, implemented it or we've considered it and, and here's how we're thinking about it and at least provide the context if we decide to go in a different direction. Um, and so... I'd say we're pretty early on this on the process about nine months into the revamped advisory boards, but I'm really encouraged by the engagement that we're seeing. Um, and we have OKRs around level of engagement and participation that, that we expect to see out of these. And um, you know, we certainly don't want to bring them together and have them be one and done. So we want to have them be vibrant communities of interest around the various uh, topic areas that we have. Any pushback that you got from customers or people that are just too busy and or you know any any kind of like objections or how did you kind of sweeten the deal uh, and, and make them uh, give them something that they that they really wanted? It's it's actually a great question and and we you know we haven't done paid incentives and obviously in the last eighteen months we haven't you know taken you to a resort or something like that and I don't even know that we will do that going forward but it's a, it's a great question it kind of comes down to the vetting process up front. You shouldn't have a hard time finding customers who want to provide feedback and who find value in the forum. If you're doing a lot of arm twisting, you may be talking to the wrong possible advisory board members. Um, so we wanted to make sure that that kind of desire was there. The 
you know, commitment to meeting on a regular basis was there. Obviously, things come up and you might miss a meeting. It's not draconian, but just making sure that we're all aligned at the outset on the value that's going to be provided by this and the commitments that we're making to each other to be a part of this advisory board going forward. So overall, once we did that and made that clear, we were certainly able to, you know, kind of stock these advisory boards with enough customers that were uh, more than willing to participate. That's right. That's a really cool story. You know, it's funny. I mean, do you think it's something that you kind of wish you had done earlier? Possibly. I mean, like I said, we, we, we did have some of these. So we had seen some, some successes, but we had also seen a few, you know, based on whoever was running it, that they did kind of just fizzle because, you know, you do need to kind of actively manage these things to make sure that the customers feel engaged. You know, if they're meeting, let's say once every six months, you know, what's the engagement plan between? I mean, again, not every week, but you, but you do need to make sure you need to follow up on, you know, feedback received um, and questions asked. So, you know, you just need to, there is some kind of administration that needs to be, um, to be there. And so, you know, maybe the learnings that we had from some of the successes and, and failures in the past have made this what it is right now, but sure, could we have done this a couple of years ago or, or longer? Absolutely. But I, um, I'm pleased we are where we are. You kind of mentioned AI a little bit. I, I think, you know, we feel the same way that it's just something that kind of gets tossed around a lot. Any examples of the way that you're using AI? I would say that good AI starts with good data. So we were fortunate to have, as we've talked about, you know, made that investment to really rally our data sources together. And we actually have one of our, one of our AI visionaries um, with the company who's built some of these solutions that we offer to our customers says, you know, just like you know, great grapes make great wine, you know, great data makes great AI. And, and in fact, if you don't have the data where it needs to be, then the AI is basically uh, worthless. So that was, that was really the foundation of, of what we've done. That purpose-built data lake, we get you know, 30 different data sources that we bring together. So that's the foundation. And then we've used um, AI and ML in a few different ways. I'll give you a couple examples, and, and there are probably others that, that we're doing as well. We have done this kind of a very hardworking tactical thing of kind of customer name matching. So anyone who's kind of built marketing systems knows that, you know, unless your hygiene is pristine as a company, you may have a large customer named five different things in five different systems. You know, as someone entered it in, or it's a you know, subsidiary, or it's a parent company, whatever. And so this was really a challenge, honestly, for, for us in, in doing our campaigns and understanding this customer is engaging. Again, if you, have, if you have 10 customers, then it's easy. If you have 10,000 or 100,000 customers, it's unwieldy. Um, and so we actually built an AI-driven kind of fuzzy name matching algorithm that learns and improves over time. And whereas we used to kind of have to throw somebody on this every once a quarter to go through the heavily manual exercise of doing those matches, you know, all the, all of the different campaign activity to, you know, the customers themselves. Now we run this algorithm 10, 15 times a week. Um, it's automated, it's easy. And, you know, we've, we've checked some actually competitive sol- or some solutions out there that vendors offer for this kind of thing. And we're actually more effective than, than they are. So that's just one very specific example um, of what we've done. To, to leverage that and you know basically take take the manual work um, out of the equation, you know as we think about optimizing our ad spend, figuring out you know media placements and what's working hardest for us, and rapidly uh, kind of changing that and learning that for certain customer targets, 
and through certain media channels, that's certainly been a big uh, area of focus as well. Um, and so that's um, an area that we actually have used some third-party tools to make sure that you know we're optimizing that media spend through some ML algorithms that, that I talked about the cost per MQL decreasing. That's part of that equation is making sure that we're highly effective in our investments. And so is that just, you know, thinking about things in a more targeted perspective, like leveraging like ad networks and, and like buying ads certain places, or is it doing more targeted like publications or more targeted types of content? Like how, how would that, how does that look? So the, the goal is obviously you're, you're, you're doing these ad buys, you're, you're making a big investment um, and you have potentially you know, many, many places where it's landing and a lot of data being kicked off from those ads. And so it's just bringing that data back and rapidly iterating uh, because there's just so many dimensions and factors. I mean, every campaign we run just based on like what we're trying to accomplish is different. Um, much less yeah. than how we execute it. And so, you know, being able to spot, you know, trends and get smarter on the next, you know, the next execution and then even mid-execution learning from it, you know, that, that's been the big kind of aha for me. Back in the day, you'd spend a long time building these campaigns, hoping you got it right. You'd put it out there. You might get some data back, even real time, but the ability to, to actually make sense of that data uh, to to make a pivot if needed or to double down if needed um, was just was just challenging. So it's it's leveraging those type of algorithms through our agency partners that can help us just get smarter and more fluid in in our investments. And are you so are you like targeting by all sorts of different parameters like the you know different industry solutions or different titles or companies or all that sort of stuff? All of that sort of stuff and. We're able now, because of all of the kind of first and third party data that we have, we're able to then add some dimensions of where someone is in the buying process, you know, their level of interest, Great. which obviously is, is hugely important. You know, you talked about your credit card solicitation. I mean, we've all also been retargeted for something we just bought. You know, that, that was the level of sophistication years ago and still with some merchants, yep. <laughs> but, you know, where you just buy something and then you see an ad for the same thing. You know, I'm not going to buy another one today that I just bought tomorrow. So, I mean, we're, we're now light years beyond that level of sophistication. I'd say the other big category that we've used ML for is just doing, you know, smart cross-sell recommendations. Um, and again, there's, there's varying degrees of sophistication with that. But now that we have more intent data, um, it's, it's not just, well, customers that bought that would like this. It's a lot more sophisticated than that because we have so many data sources to feed in. That stuff is really exciting. We had uh, we had someone from Salesforce on that was talking about uh, how they did that um, and looked at essentially their whole book of business of one particular product SKU and looked at cross sell likelihood essentially to to buy and had a hugely successful campaign just based off of what the uh, what the AI kind of suggested would would be the the likely targets. Yeah, absolutely. And and in fact, I mean, it, it, again, it's not just if you bought this product. I mean, yes, certainly we know what you purchased and and that can be a data point. But, you know, then we see you engaging in a variety of different maybe marketing led touch points or we see some some activity you're doing out on the web that we bring in through like a Bombora. You know, all of those things can be can be correlated and and you know, just give us that much more confidence in then engaging you 
and or getting our salesperson the data so that they can uh, engage with you and, and they can appear smarter and more as a business partner rather than just opportunistically pouncing when you issue an RFP. Any other learnings from the past year or, or any other things? Obviously, you know, we haven't had you on for a little while. So any other uh, marketing specific uh, takeaways? Well, just to round out the AI topic, I mean, I guess a couple of things I would say, we, we actually did a survey um, of, you know, basically kind of IT usage of, of AI just within companies out in the world. And the encouraging thing was that we saw that both sales and marketing were really kind of the leading functions within the company that were already starting to leverage uh, AI. But what we also saw was there was a little bit of, maybe fear is not the right word, but just uncertainty about the, the outcomes that it would deliver. And so, you know, I would just say, you know, don't get enamored that it's AI or ML or what it is. Just think about the outcomes. Think about what you're trying to accomplish and get, get clear on that and then figure out the right tool for the job. So that's been certainly something that, you know, we've shared with our customers, but also that we've taken to heart internally. And, you know, our data journey gave us a, a solid foundation so that we kind of knew what questions to ask. We, we knew what what areas we maybe had some blind spots on or wish we knew more. Uh, and so it's really given us the ability to, um, you know, to really uh, get smart about our technology investments. The, the only other thing I'd say, Ian, is we talked earlier about, you know, really making sure there's no daylight between marketing and sales. Um, and this is an area that, you know, honestly, over the past few years, we had been building up our capabilities from a marketing perspective and kind of grounding on data. You know, we hadn't, desired to be siloed. We just had to get our own house in order before we could then democratize that data and share it outside. And now we've been able to do that. And equally, our sales colleagues have been building up their capabilities. Um, and now, finally, we've been able to integrate those over the past year and still not completed, but I think we've come a long way, basically taking what we've built, leveraging it with Salesforce Einstein, so that you know now a salesperson can get, get a holistic view of everything marketing knows about them, everything sales knows about them. And then now that we've got the data, what should they do about it? What's that next step for the salesperson? You know, where do they have gaps in a given buying center? Um, or, you know, where where is a competitor potentially coming in? I mean, we can see that through some third-party data that we have. You know, someone's out on a competitor's website. Well, that's pretty important for a salesperson to know. So now all of that's brought together into a single view. And now we're starting to actually start to you know, do some actions and some recommendations based on that data. So you know, th this is so much more powerful when it's together and democratized rather than every or organization in the company siloed off and hoarding the data that they have. Any, uh, any marketing trends that are, uh, that are coming up that you're excited about or following? Well, one of the things, Ian, that, um, that I'm excited about is a marketing trend that kind of parallels our own company's true north which is that of customer experience. So, you know, what we found just as a company is that, you know, as I was talking about earlier, it's not really about the, the bells and whistles of a product. It's about the outcomes that it delivers for the company. And if those are quantifiable outcomes for your customers, all the better. What, you know, what we've heard loud and clear is that, you know, the experience of operating a network is highly complex. The end user experience of using a network may be good, may be bad. And, you know, the old way that an IT organization would measure that is, is the network up? But how many times have you said, hey, the, the Wi-Fi sucks around here? And, you know, you hear, well, looks good on my end. All right, what do I do with that? And so we've been able to take it a step further with some of our solutions to get to that end user experience. Well, we're applying that exact same approach 
to what we're doing in marketing. Customer engagement, how someone engages with a brand, with a company is hugely important. In fact, I saw a stat from Salesforce. I hope I don't get it wrong here. They did a survey of many, many companies globally and, and it came back and said that 84% of them said that experience that a company provides is as important as its products and services, 84%. Yep. And that makes sense, right? I mean, if you're a startup going into a completely new space and you're the only game in town, then the features and, and capabilities are there. But if you're in a you know, mature industry where it's competitive, you know, this product, that product, it's important, but it's not all that's important. And so you know, the trend I'm watching is how, how if we create a world-class engagement experience, how's that going to differentiate us versus our competitors, even beyond our amazing products and solutions? So that's a big one. And of course, there are a lot of different elements that make up that, that experience. And marketing doesn't control all of those elements, but we are in the lead on a lot of them. Um, but in partnership with customer success, in partnership with sales, you know, we, we can create a differentiated engagement experience for our customers that will ultimately lead to more loyalty, more sales, uh, and happier customers. Yeah, you know, I, I talk about it as the CX pinata, which is like, if your product is the candy, you could just give your customers a bowl of candy, or you could give them like a pinata. And it's like, it's way more fun to hit a pinata and, and see the candy fly everywhere and then get, you know, get the candy afterwards than just being given a bowl. And I think that that's kind of like the part of the thing with customer experience is like you can make the actual experience memorable and important and thorough and detailed and thoughtful. And then, you know, the fact that your product does its job is even better. And I think that so many people just kind of think that like, that the product is just going to be, well, it's, it's a great product, so it's good enough in that way. And even and, and that even goes for self-serve things too, because if it's self-serve, even more so. Yeah. The experience is that there is no salesperson or that it is you know, in a certain way, but that in and of itself is you know, obviously by design. Um, and I think just, yeah, you're totally right that it's like marketing needs to be in those conversations and needs to be you know, partnering with, hopefully you have a you know, chief experience officer or somebody that wears that hat. Well, I actually kind of partner with our head of global uh, service and support. You know, we kind of co-lead a customer experience initiative across the company. And there's so many different ways to tackle this organizationally. So we don't have one, but I, I guess maybe it's better to have two looking at it from all sides. But but yeah, I, I completely agree with, with what you said. And uh, not only is self-service, but certainly the move of many of our solutions and others across the industry to as a service. So if I'm now getting whatever you're offering as a service on demand, potentially with no contract, that means you have to earn my business every single day. And one of the ways yep. you earn that is certainly the product works. But another way you earn that is how is my engagement experience with the product? When I have an issue, you know, do I have to call a number? Do I have to go online? Is there help in the application? Or are all of the above available to me? And I can pick the engagement mechanism that, that best suits me at the given place that I am. So there's so much that has to be thought through when you're delivering things as a service. And that's certainly a, a direction of travel for us. And that's why we believe that that engagement experience is so important. Let's get to our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. So you know this because you use Salesforce every day. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but for our listeners, go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM. You've already done lightning round questions before, but we got some new ones for you. All right. First question. What is your summer vacation spot? 
Well, I am hopefully uh, not this summer in September. We had a, a trip to Italy canceled um, last year, and we've rescheduled it for September. So fingers crossed that will be that will be my uh, my trip. So we'll see how that goes. If you weren't in marketing, what do you think you'd be doing? Well, hopefully I'd be lying on a beach, but if I had to actually work for a living, um, you know, I, I've had a variety of different uh, things in the in the past with strategy and product teams. And I guess what I would say is I'd be doing anything I could do to help the growth and success of a company from whatever seat that might might be. That's always been the thing I've been most focused on. What do you do for fun? Drink wine, play tennis, usually not together. Um, hoping to get back <laughs> to some of those things a little bit more uh, this summer and beyond. Well, uh, it's been awesome having you uh, having you on the show again, Mike. It's always just so illuminating, um, and we we really appreciate it. For our listeners, you can go check out Juniper.net. Uh, check out the new website; it looks sweet. Uh, I do have to say, great work there, and uh, uh, and we really appreciate your time as always. Thanks, Ian. It was great talking to you again. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.